But Acts chapter 8 this morning, we're going to, uh, we're in our series in the book of Acts, and we began that several weeks back. And the title, Unfinished, comes from Acts chapter 1, verse 1, when Luke, the author of Acts, is writing what we call the Acts, the book of Acts. Uh, some people the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of Jesus Christ, uh, but the actions. And so as it begins, he writes in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, he says, I'm writing continuing about what Jesus began to do and to teach. And, of course, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and most consider this kind of a second volume of a continuation of the history after Jesus ascended, after the resurrection, and the church, as it began to grow and complete or begin the completion that we're still a part of, of the Great Commission of going into all the world and taking the Gospel. In chapter 8 where we've come, the church probably now, as we have speculated, might be 15, 20,000 people. I mean, it is quite large. In fact, so large that a few chapters back, really two chapters back, the first, uh, what we would call, or what's called the first martyr, the first uh, Christian that was killed because of their faith in Christ by the name of Stephen. So that has been building for some time, and now this church that has been concentrated in Jerusalem now has been forced to go beyond Jerusalem for safety. The apostles still remain in Jerusalem, but now the church is being forced to do what Jesus commanded them to do when he said, go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And how many of you know that sometimes God has a way, always has a way of using everything for good in his glory, even persecution, even hard times and troubles. And so we see as much as the enemy tries to destroy the church, God is advancing the church. Uh, Jesus said in, in Matthew 16, he said, upon this rock, I will do what? I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I think about the uh, somewhere I read of some Chinese uh, believers that were uh, persecuted and on the, China is still experiencing hardcore ongoing persecution even today. Um, you can see even recent things that have happened in the past month in China uh, where churches are being burned and crosses are being taken down and the uh, chairman of the Communist Party's picture are being replaced in churches. So nothing has died off. In fact, it's ramped back up. But one of the a Chinese believers said, as, as, said we're, we're like nails in a board. The harder they hit us, the deeper we go. I like that. The harder the enemy hits you, do you go deeper? Right? So even though the enemy is trying to destroy the work of God, the purposes of God, God and his sovereignty is advancing it. Now, last week in chapter 8, we, we just looked at the first part of chapter 8, and we see that one of the men who... Uh, escaped, or I shouldn't say escaped, who left Jerusalem that were part of this church leadership by, was a man by the name of Philip. Now, Philip is part of these seven men that were appointed. Uh, remember back in chapter 6, we looked at that when there was a complaint. Can you believe that? A complaint in church. In Acts chapter 6, it said there was a complaint because the Greek Jewish widows who had been raised culturally outside of Jerusalem, and they were not getting their allotment of daily food that the church was distributing to the poor. So we see the church was very much in, involved in food and, and caring for the needs of the poor. And so you had this segment of Greek widows. Your Bible might say Hellenist widows, but they just, and that's another term for Greek. 
they were not they were not getting their part, and so people began to complain uh, that maybe uh, you know maybe there was favoritism they were being accused of. I don't know. So the apostles appointed se- seven individuals to that we sometimes look at as the first deacons, okay, or, or a prototype of the first deacon, and they appointed them to to take care of the problem. And one of the men that was appointed out of that seven was Philip. Stephen was another one, and we see Philip pretty much in chapter 8, uh, all of chapter 8. And so last week when we looked at the beginning of chapter 8, we, uh, the title of the message was Counterfeit Faith, and you can go online and, and listen to that. And counterfeit faith was because there was an individual by the name of Simon that we looked at that in the midst of Philip going into Samaria, and if you know anything about Samaria, they were uh, looked down upon by the Jews uh, they, were, they were, and again, there's a whole history there that goes back uh, several hundreds of years of why the Jews in Jerusalem despised the Samaritans and it had to do with just a lot of different issues that historically uh, that they, they looked down upon them and really uh, wanted nothing to do with them. That's the reason when Jesus told the story about the good Samaritan to Jewish ears, they were like, wait a minute, that's an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is? You know what a moron is, but anyway, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we're looking at one, no. Uh, but an oxymoron, that's a contradiction in terms. So a Jew is here, good Samaritan. Wait a minute, there's nothing, there's no good Samaritans. Uh, and so that's, that was the point of Jesus' story and showing how the, the, the love of Christ or the love of God was shown through people, somebody that they looked down upon. And, and you remember the woman at the well in John 4? She was a woman from Samaria. And remember she asked Jesus, and when Jesus uh, asked her for a drink and they began to have a dialogue, and, and the woman says, why are you talking to me? Jews don't have anything to do with us, Samaritans. So there's a whole little history there. So it's significant that Philip has gone into Samaria now, and as he begins to preach the gospel, we see revival breaking out. People are being converted. And in fact, it even says about people who were demon-possessed and demons were being cast out. So it's a very dramatic event, and people were being converted. And it says that joy came to the people because they were coming to faith in Christ. And it was so significant that when word got back to Jerusalem, they sent Peter and John there to check it out because in their mind there was like, wait, we, we, we can't believe these Samaritans are becoming Christians. Maybe somebody said, wait a minute, kind of like Jonah. I don't, you remember Jonah? Remember when we went through Jonah and you read Jonah? He didn't want to convert those Ninevites because then he'd have to love them. He'd have to care about them. I mean, his hatred against those Ninevites was so deep, so I don't know why, but that maybe it was so astounding about these Samaritans. They sent two apostles up there to check it out. And it was, and again, it verified the work that was done. And Simon, who we primarily looked at last week, was an example of someone who had all the outward evidences, if you want to say that, all the outward works of somebody who might be genuine in their faith, but as it turned out, really his focus was upon his own self, and he was an example of what we call counterfeit faith. It looks real, but it really, it isn't real. It's not authentic. But that's not the whole story in Acts chapter 8. So not only is there uh, the counterfeit faith, but at this morning we're going to look at genuine faith and in, in, uh, what happens with Philip and his encounter with a high government official from Ethiopia who had been in Jerusalem. And so this morning I've uh, just uh, picked a section here to kind of uh, get the flavor. We won't read 
the entire portion of, uh, of the Acts uh, 26 through the end of the chapter. I just want to read a portion of it, and uh, you can follow in your Bibles, and I trust you do bring your Bibles in uh, some form that you can follow along and participate and, and grow in God's Word, but also for your convenience, have it on the screen. And so uh, it'll be up there, and you can just follow along as I read. Acts 8, and we're going to look at verses 26 through 31, and then jump over just to verse 35. Now, verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Okay, he's in the midst of this revival in Samaria, and an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he arose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning back home, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he, this Ethiopian official, invited Philip to come up and sit with him in his chariot. Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture from Isaiah, he told him the good news about Jesus. Let's pray one more time and ask God's blessing on his word this morning. Can we do that? Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you how it is uh, life to us. Lord, as we this morning, uh, Lord, wa- work our way through Uh, your holy word, your voice to us. God, may we be encouraged to be people that uh, take this gospel, take this good news, uh, wherever we are at, whatever our setting is in, that that we grow in a sense of confidence in being people that are advancing and talking about Jesus, that are sharing the love of Christ, that are going into our world and preaching the gospel. We may not preach because we may never have a a podium or stand, but as we tell people about how Christ has changed our life, as we tell people about what Jesus has done for me, Lord, may we draw encouragement this morning as we see Philip's example, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. What I want you to see this morning is how God opened this man's heart as Philip was directed by the angel of the Lord. Now remember, Philip is in this a great revival going on in Samaria. It doesn't tell us who this angel was. It doesn't give any description. It just said an angel of the Lord came and told Philip to go and chase this guy down. Now this man was from Ethiopia. We don't know if He was physically a eunuch. There could have been other reasons. He could have been uh, born that way with some defect. It could have been just a title, meaning that it didn't necessarily mean that he couldn't procreate. Uh, It just means there was a certain title that were given to him. We don't know that, but we do know that he was a high government official from Ethiopia uh, and uh, that he was in charge of the queen's uh, money. He was the, maybe he was the treasurer. Maybe he was secretary of the treasury. And when it says uh, in names Candace, it doesn't mean that was the queen's name. That's a title like you might would use for Pharaoh or Caesar, Candace. It, it's, again, it's not her personal name. It's just a, dynast, di, uh, a title of, 
of that, uh, that role um, of, the, of her dynasty. But this morning as we look at this passage, now where it made it a little difficult was before uh, I began to, the series on the book of Acts, on January 18th, I taught from this exact passage. And I really was tempted to just pull a fast one and said, this will be a test to see how many of you remember, and they'll say, hey, you did that message, or whatever. And uh, it's a great passage, and I, I didn't do that. Tried to, but you know, there's only so many different ways. You know, it's it's not like you can come up with new things. Okay, instead of him being from Ethiopia, we'll say he's from China, or you know, you can't make it different than what it says. But but I want to emphasize a few different things that I didn't say back in January. So if you want to go back online, that message is online, January 18th, and I think it was called a chariot on fire. Different message, obviously drawing from the same uh, passage but a little different emphasis. But this morning, the title this morning is being a confident witness for Jesus Christ. What can we learn here in this passage that, will, that we today can take away that will help us be confident as we share the gospel? You realize that is something that every believer, not just pastors and youth pastors and children's pastors and deacons and elders, you realize that is something that we are all called to do. We are all called to take the gospel, to share the hope of Christ. If you're born again, that's something we call the Great Commission. That's given to all of us that we're to be a part of it. As I prayed, you probably may, you know, you may never stand behind a a music stand, a podium. You may never be in a formal teaching setting, but we are all given a task that wherever we are put, wherever we are planted, we are to be people that are talking to other people, non-believers, about Christ, about Jesus. And so, but what is sometimes the, the holdup of why we don't do this is sometimes it's because we do not have the confidence. We may say, well, you know what, I really don't know a whole lot, or I really don't know much about the Bible, or I, I'm really uneasy talking to people about faith, or all these things. And so this morning, I want us to just uh, look at four, what we would call principles, of how we can be confident, whoever you are and whatever your situation is, to be confident as we, be, as we are witnesses for Christ Jesus. And so the story that we'll look at is, shows that how God is sovereign over evangelism. That's what we're talking about, being evangelistic, how God is sovereign. That, that means he's in charge of all this, but also that we as his people, as his followers, we are called to be obedient in witnessing, in, in telling people about Christ. So it's not an either or, it's a both and. And so the big idea this morning is seeing how God advances his sovereign purposes through obedient Christians who explain the gospel to seeking souls, seeking men and women. And so four principles in this passage that I trust will encourage and empower us with confidence as we take the gospel into our world. Our world may be our family. Our world may be a classroom. Our world may be the workplace. It might be our neighbor, some of our friends, whatever. Whatever that world is, Be confident in being a witness for Christ. Number one, we can be a confident witness for Christ because, number one, God is always advancing his will. 
God is always advancing his sovereign will. So we, we're not trying to get out and sell people a product. We're just getting in on what God is already doing, what he has been doing, what he is preparing. He's always working behind the scenes. He's always working around us. Do you realize that? And what we learn to do, notice in some, it's a theme, uh, I think when I preached this back in January, I probably emphasize this a little more than I will today, but just notice the role of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit did this. The Spirit did that. You see, what I think a lot of times uh, makes us a little hesitant is because we've equated witnessing or sharing the gospel with having to memorize a very structured kind of, dare I say, sales pitch. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know, and so we, 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 we're, we're, we're following this thing in our head, and you know what? What happens when you get a sales call or you get somebody who talks to you or, or whatever, and they're sincere and they're nice, but their approach just sounds like a memorized little script that they've, they've read. Your tendency is just, you know, you might be nice, but you, walk, walk, you, know, you just walk away. You just feel like, do they really believe what they're saying, or is this just... Uh, when you might be on the phone with somebody, you're calling about, you know, your computer or some issue there, and you ask them a question, and they just start reading off a script, and you're like, wait, wait, that's not what I'm at, and they're just still reading. They're in the zone, right? They're just still going at it. Well, that's the way often we look at witnessing, that I have to have this, this kind of uh, canned approach or outline. Now, don't get me wrong. Those things are very helpful, because as you begin to uh, talk about Christ beyond just, and, and the Holy Spirit begins to move a conversation, it is good to have something to say. Hello? I mean, it's good to have some content, something to say. And uh, we'll talk about a way to do that in, in a little bit there. But, but just stepping back, if we begin to look at my, as I begin my day, and I say, you know what, my day, yes, I've got to go to work, I've got to do this, I've got to meet with this person, I've got to do all this stuff, I've got to pick up this here, take the kids there, whatever. But as I step back at the beginning of my day and say, God, my life belongs to you. So in all the stuff that I've got to do today, I acknowledge that you're sovereignly working your purpose and your will all around me. I can't see it. But through maybe something that you would say uh, You've heard me talk about this, and, I, and, I, and hopefully after the first year, we're going to uh, find time to go through this uh, training called Sharing Jesus Without Fear. It, it's great, and it's just that, how to share Jesus without fear, without being afraid, giving you confidence. And one of the things I love about it is it, he, doesn't, he doesn't have you memorize, or the course doesn't have you memorize anything. That's a good thing, right? I, I've had to replace my four-number ATM code multiple times because I just go blank. How many of you have multiple? My wife drives her crazy because I do have multiple passwords for different things. And you know, sometimes they force you on that because they need to update your password, so you need to put a money sign or, you know, some variation. And after a while, you've used up all their tries, and then you got to reset it again. Sorry, I digress. But anyway, so memorizing isn't always beneficial, but, but what, what, again, he emphasizes, again, is just 
asking questions and allowing the Holy Spirit to, uh, to lead a conversation. And what his main uh, premise is, and I think it's a biblical premise, how many of you remember or have gone through experiencing God with Henry Blackaby? How many of you are familiar with that? That might be good uh, also for us to do. It's just a great, great study, great study. But I believe he gets this from Henry Blackaby, and it's this principle, what we're saying here today. God is always working around us. What we need to do is just find out where that is. And Henry Blackaby says, when you find out you want to worry about or, or pursue the will of God, find out where God is active and where, where he's working and get in on that. that. That's kind of a real simple thing, right? And so if we begin to say, God, I know you're working all around me today, even in that office that's like walking in a, a den of lions, you know, I feel like a Daniel, right? Uh, I see you acknowledging that, Dan, <laughs> we won't go there. Uh, but, you know, some of you work in that kind of environment. Uh, thankfully, I don't <laughs> here. If we did, then you would have a business meeting after church and talk about that. But we don't have that. But I say, God, I know that I might have this job. I have this role. But God, you, my purpose in being here is bigger than this. God, use me today. Help me, even not manipulate a situation or a conversation, but Lord, just through interaction, maybe that person that is uh, maybe in the cubicle next to you or down the hall or somebody you see in the break room or whatever it is, and you begin to talk or chit-chat, help me to perhaps say something or or ask a question or or not do it in a way that seems pushy, but just, just, Lord, just create the moment in your sovereignty that I can really just see, God, are you doing something in this person's life that you might use me to develop a, a relationship that, that may lead to this person crossing the line of faith? Does that make sense? Just, just, just help me. Guide me. Don't let me go in there with some pre-canned thing, uh, you know, make some spiritual joke about the Kerrig machine or something like, I don't know, you know, whatever it is. You know, it sounds stupid. It sounds flat. Just let the Holy Spirit open that. You've heard the saying, God's not interested in your, your ability as much as your availability. Are you available for God to work? Because he's doing the work. He's doing the work. And to me, when you understand God's sovereignty, <laughs> when you understand God's sovereignty, it doesn't make you just kind of check out and say, oh, well, whatever will be, will be. No. It says, you know what, I can go in this situation, I can go ahead, because that means God has worked in advance. He is your advance team. He has an advance team of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he's gone ahead of you, and he's worked in situations ahead of time. You've just got to make yourself available. Remember what it said when, when, uh, when, he heard, uh, when Philip heard this guy reading, and he asked the question, and all it says is that Philip opened his mouth. There is a sermon right there. Just be willing to open your mouth, right, and be ready to, to have something that God's Spirit can use maybe to, and it goes back to that principle, God is working all around you, and by asking sometimes Spirit-led questions that are, that are legitimate, you're determining, God, what are you doing in this person's life? And sometimes it could be just as simple as saying, hey, do you, do you, you go to church? You have a church background? What would you do yesterday? Uh, did you go to church when you were younger? Uh, I told you about, uh, most of you know who uh, Eric Grenier is. He and his family were uh, a part of our church uh, for a while, and he went and backslid and became a Presbyterian. Uh, no, he didn't backslid. I'm just kidding. But he went to a Southern Baptist seminary, so I don't know what they think about that. But anyway, he's doing a great work over in, uh, huh? 
Haynes City out in that area. Eric's a great guy, and we had lunch a while back. And Eric just got me on, and most of the time, when your waitress comes and and just and this is so easy. You just say, hey, we're getting ready to pray for our food in a minute. Is there anything that I can pray for you about? I've rarely heard anybody. I can't, you know, anytime I just said, no, I don't want you to do that. And uh, I overheard somebody I don't know uh, in a restaurant do that very same thing. And the waitress said, yes, pre- please pray for my mother. She has cancer and et cetera, et cetera. And that's all it, that's the, all it went as far as the conversation. The point is, be willing to say, Holy Spirit, just open your mouth, ask a question, uh, say, God bless you. Say, you know what, you, that your service was tremendous today, and I hope you get great tips today. I'm going to be praying, and sometimes the waitress will say that. she say, well, you can pray for, no, when they say, no, I can't think of anything, I'll say, or, and Eric just said this, well, how about bigger tips? They always, they always want that. That's always a given there. So, again, recognize that God is sovereignly at work. Secondly, secondly, and what I want you to see in that guy is because God already prepared this guy ahead of time. Philip, you just go. I've already got this guy. I know right where he is. My, my Holy Ghost GPS has got the exact coordinates of this guy. You just get there, right? That's all he had to do. Isn't that great? God's already been directing and leading this guy. All Philip had to do was just go and be obedient. So secondly, we can be confident witnesses for Christ because secondly, God has already empowered his word, okay? God has already empowered his word. He's always advancing his will, but he also is all, he has already empowered his word. And what I mean by that is um, he's not waiting for you to, to put a new spin on it. God has already empowered his word to be a tool and to be effective. Now, the Bible says in Romans 1 that God has revealed himself in creation. We call that uh, general revelation, but the Bible is special revelation, okay? And so you, even though God says that all men will be without excuse as far as saying that there, that there is no God, because he says by the created order that they can uh, surmise that they're without excuse and acknowledging that by just the orderliness of creation and orderliness of the universe, that there must be a master designer. They may not use all those terms, but you just can't look at that and rationally say, yeah, all this just happened by accident, okay? just doesn't make sense. But he also says that you can't be saved by looking at the trees and the planets. That's not enough. And there must be special revelation, God's word that he uses. And so don't miss the fact that in this in this setting here, that God uses his word. Now, maybe this guy, remember, he's gone to Jerusalem. He's on his way back. Uh, not sure where maybe he, uh, it says he went to Jerusalem to worship. Maybe 900 years before, some people rightly speculate that, remember, somebody by the name of Queen, the Queen of Sheba, and she traveled to see King Solomon and benefit from all his wisdom, that somehow the knowledge of some of that um, monotheistic Jewish religion. Maybe that uh, is something in their history, and, and there's some scholars that, uh, that have uh, studied that and looked at that. Maybe that's where he had some knowledge of the Jewish religion or Jewish faith in that, in that broad sense. So he's, he's going to Jerusalem. Remember, he's the treasurer. He can call this a business trip and write it off, right? And he, and he I don't, I don't want to buys a scroll that's the book of Isaiah. And so as he's left Jerusalem, he's in this 
chariot. He's not by himself. He probably has an entourage. And as you read the story, the angel of the Lord told Philip to go out there and meet him in the desert. Verse 27, so Philip arose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, court official who was in charge of all her treasure, and he come to Jerusalem to worship. Verse 28, and as he was returning, he was seated in his chariot, and he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit, again, the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Now, I always have this image in my mind. I don't think they were like, you know, like a wagon train where they were just flying through the west, right? You know, it was probably a very methodical. There was an entourage. There was probably chariots that had all this guy's stuff. And it was, you know, because he was a big shot. And so he wasn't all by himself, and, and they're just traveling through the desert. But I just have this image in my mind of Philip running and catching up where he's kind of jogging alongside this guy in his chariot reading, and that's often how they, the uh, Eastern folks read. They read it out loud. They read, they read things out loud. So he's in there reading. Uh, you know, my mind, like, where's their secret service? How'd this guy, I mean, what are they doing? You know, off with their heads. I mean, can you imagine can you imagine, you know, the president or, or the governor or Grady Judd, for that matter, and all of a sudden Tim Campbell's running and flying out of Arby's over on Florida and running up and trying to capture and say, hey, Grady, you remember me when you came to Grace Church? Well, you'd be reading about me on Spectrum News 9 as they have my body covered, you know, uh, messing with that. Uh, uh, but... <sighs> What does he do? What's going on there is this guy is reading from Isaiah 53. Now, sometime go back. Here's a, here's a Bible study tip that will help you greatly. In the New Testament, when you see an Old Testament reference, you will glean more by going back and looking it up in the Old Testament and reading it in its full context. You will see things that will help you understand why it was used in the New Testament. So if you see something quoted in the New Testament that's an Old Testament reference, like Isaiah 53, and if you know what Isaiah 53 is, that is the prophetic scripture of what we would call the suffering servant, the Messiah who is yet to come, who would bear our, uh, our, our sins and our transgressions, who would give his life. That's what he's reading from in Isaiah 53. Pretty good place to read for him to ask the question, who am I reading about? He wasn't asking about the scholarly interpretation. He said, he asked the question. I'm just jumping ahead. He said, is Isaiah, uh, is he writing about himself? Or is he writing about someone else? Philip didn't say, well, you know, Rabbi so-and-so says it could be he's referring to the nation of Israel. Some contemporary Jews believe that's what it's referring to because they've kind of written out a literal personal Messiah, and they've kind of looked at Israel as the messianic fulfillment in that way, contemporary Jewish scholars, some, um, that maybe Isaiah is referring to himself, that he would, he's talking about himself. He didn't say any of that. It, look, look what it says here. It says, and I got ahead of my notes here, my apologies. He says... Uh, Verse 34, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say, say this, about himself or about someone else? Now, look at verse 35. Then Philip, there it is, he opened his mouth. It's a good start when you witness, open your mouth. And it says, beginning with this scripture, he told him what? 
the good news about Jesus. He didn't say, you know, brother, you can have all your dreams and visions fulfilled today. He didn't try to give him some motivational speech. He didn't try to say, what's your dreams, brother? What are your dreams? Who cares what your dreams are? He opened his mouth and told him about Jesus. You can have lots of dreams and visions and plans and purposes and not know Christ. There's a lot of preaching among churches today when you hear very little about Jesus. Have you ever watched somebody on TV, a church, a ministry, and you don't hear anything about the gospel? You don't hear anything about Jesus? You hear a lot about, well, better not. You see, what was God doing? He was using his word. This guy was reading from the scroll from the prophet Isaiah, and he's reading, and just coincidentally, ha, 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 reading from Isaiah 53, and Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, verse 31, how can I unless someone guides me? I read a story of a Muslim iman who was asked to do a series of character studies on great people from the Quran. And just again, reminder of the, the word and the power of Scripture. And he was going to do a series of studies of great people from the Quran. In case you didn't know this, the Quran talks about Abraham, it talks about Joseph, it talks about David, and yes, it even has a, a good portion about Jesus. Not that he's the Son of God, but that he was one of the messengers that ultimately uh, Muhammad was the ultimate messenger, and Jesus was just one of many witnesses uh, throughout history. And when he came to prepare his talk on Jesus, he wanted more background information, so this Muslim iman borrowed a Bible and began to read the Gospels. Uh Uh-oh. And as he realized that Jesus was more than a prophet... His Muslim friends were appalled and excommunicated him, and he continued to read, and he began to see that Jesus was the Savior, that he was the Messiah, and he asked and trusted in Christ as his Savior, and he went on to a a local Christian uh, uh, church and asked if he could be baptized, and if you know anything about in that culture, uh, that was essentially a a death warrant uh, for him to separate from Islam. And now he's uh, a part of Operation Mobilization, doing evangelism among his own people. Well, what happened there? The power of God's Word. Don't underestimate the power of God's Word. All Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture, the ESV says, breathe out. The NIV says, God breathe. Uh, Your King James or New King James may say, inspired. And you've heard me say this many times. Inspire uh, is, is when is, is something, when something is inspired, it's when God breathes in. When God breathed his spirit into Adam, he inspired that clay and it came to life. When a person dies, the coroner will write the time of when they expired, when life went out. So the scripture is God breathes, 2 Timothy 3.16. And so don't underestimate the power of God, God's Word. Give Bibles. Buy Bibles. Buy, uh, buy the Word of God. Give it away. If you want to give away some Bibles, see me. I will give you uh, some New Testaments to give away. 
But don't underestimate, if you can't do anything else, don't underestimate at Christmas or whatever, give Bibles as Christmas presents. I've known even some of the most heathenistic people that won't throw away a Bible. Maybe it's because they're superstitious, but who cares? They won't throw it away, right? So give a Bible. Invest in the Word of God in people's lives. And so God has already empowered His Word. We need to use the tools He's given us. Thirdly, notice that God will always not only empower His Word, but empower our personal witness. God empowers our personal witness. God uses and blesses obedient Christians to explain the gospel from His Word to men and women who are seeking and that He's drawing to Himself. You see, again, we keep these twin truths in balance. We embrace the sovereignty of God. It's all of God. But yet God has ordained to use us, to use our witness, our our testimony, our ability to share Christ, the Word. Henry Blackaby said uh, that the reality, and similar to what I said earlier, the reality is that the Lord never calls the qualified. He qualifies the called. So again, don't go and say, well, I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. I, don't, I have trouble knowing one verse from the other. You know what? Make yourself a- apply and uh, knowing some things. If you've come to church, hopefully you're learning some things. There, there's tools that I can give you and say, I, I want to be able to uh, know how to share Christ easier. As I said, I have these New Testaments. If you, wanna, if you want one, see me. I'll give you two or three. Now, don't put them in your glove compartment. And eight years from now, we're digging them out, right? When you go to trade your car in. Oh, yeah, those Bibles. They don't do any good. And they're not doing any good in my office. But I have them in there to give away. So I have some if you want to say, yeah, give me some. And in the back, and they're just little Gideon New Testaments. How many of you know what the Gideons are? If you've ever stayed in a hotel, you know what a Gideon is, right? And, uh, and the Gideon Bible. And they do a great work. You know why I love the Gideons? It's because their main focus almost one of the more pure ministries, is just in the distribution of the Word of God. I mean, they do a great job. And so in these little New Testaments, they're just a little simple scriptures and plan of salvation in the front and the back that you just open that up and, and, and talk to somebody or give it to them. Hey, I've got a gift for you. You're, you do such a great job when I come and pick up my cleaning or I take my car in or where you do such a great job, I have a little gift for you. Everybody likes gifts, right? I like gifts. I like gifts a lot, and you're welcome to bring now. But you give and say, hey, I have something for you, and, it's a, and you give them one of these. Let God take it from there. You do your part. Fair? Fair? Just do your part. Plant the seed. Plant the seed of God's Word, but God blesses and empowers our personal witness. And that goes back to being able to, to direct and ask questions or engage a conversation when, uh, when the angel of the Lord said to, to Philip uh, back in verse 26, he said to arise and go, Philip was obedient and being this witness, and it says that he rose and went. He, he, he followed. The Spirit prompted him to go, and that's when he chased down this chariot and engaged this guy in the Word of God. Now, it doesn't say exactly all that they talked about, Look at verse 32. If they're talking about Christ, and they're using Isaiah 53, and they're using 
and they're reading from this passage, even though it isn't the full quotation there. That's why I said if you go back and read Isaiah 53, this is Isaiah 53, 5, that speaks about that he, this coming one, that he's asking, who is this? Isaiah 53, verse 5 said that this one who is to come will be wounded for our transgressions. Now, again, we don't have the benefit of a recording of what they talked about, but it would seem, make sense to me that if they're looking at this passage, that they're talking about an identifying Christ, and he's explaining to them that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of our sin, we can't merit or earn favor with God. We can't get ourselves back into right place or alignment with God. It's something that God has to do. And that God sent Christ to be the satisfaction of his wrath and to bear our sin and to be our atonement so that through him, through his death, not my death, but through his perfect death as the Lamb of God who knew no sin, that as I trust in him, I can have eternal life. Now, it doesn't say all that, but I don't think that's unfair to surmise from what we see happens next is it says that this man is water baptized. As they're riding along, verse 36, 35, he told him the good news about Jesus. See that little space between the period and the 36? Do you see that in your Bible? If you don't have your Bible, then you're, you're just imagining there's a lot of stuff that went on there, I bet. It doesn't tell us, but there's a lot of stuff I think went on in that conversation because verse 36, someday I'm going to read a phony scripture and just have some of you go, yeah, amen, that's good, yeah. <laughs> I want to trick you. And it says, as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, I won't beat this, but just notice that they went into the water. That means they did what baptize means. It means to dip or to immerse. That was, that's the New Testament picture of water baptism. Do you think this high official had some Zephyr Hills water maybe in his chariot? You think he had some water? And Philip said, hey, you know, hey, we just, let me just sprinkle you. We can just keep driving. We can just do this all in the chair. No, he said, so again, he wasn't baptized in order to become a Christian. His baptism was an affirmation of his being a Christian. Do you see, get that? Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is the profession of faith that you are born again. You, you follow baptism because baptism is a picture of the death, who I am before Christ. And as the one goes under the water, I am buried with Christ. My sins are buried in Christ. And as I come out of that water, I rise, and I'm resurrected to new life in Christ, and I rise up out of that water free from sin because my sins have been taken away, and I identify with Jesus. That's what water baptism, that's why immersion pictures that and why God intended it to be that, okay? And they did that because he became born again, and as a result of being born again, he 
was water baptized. So somewhere in that conversation, Philip not only shared the gospel, but shared how one professes faith in Christ. And he says, look, look, stop. There's some water. Now, that would have been a rare thing in a desert. Right? Could? No, I don't know. This is getting weird. But could God just have created a little water out there? And it must have been deep enough because it says they both went into it and both came out of it. Right? See, some of you are looking. You think, ah, he's just making that up. In the last... is God will always, we can be confident, confident witness for Christ because God will always impart new life to the seeker, to one who is hungry for God, that God has created in them an appetite, that God has opened their eyes to their need for a Savior because the Bible is clear that none of us are naturally inclined to respond the gospel. That's why we must have the work of God proceed. We don't inherently have faith. God has to even give us the gift of faith to respond. And see, God was already at work in this man's life, and Philip just came and showed up. And I mean, really, I mean, he chased down the chariot, he explained, baptized the guy, and Philip just did what God told him to do. Wouldn't that be amazing where you just, you, just, you just come in on a conversation that God has been developing for years, for months, and he's been working in this person's life, and you just open your mouth one day around the, 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 the lunchroom or the situation, wherever you're at, and all of a sudden, all the purposes of God come crashing in on that moment, and you benefit, rejoice, and benefit from the person saying, I need Jesus into my life. Will you pray for me? Wouldn't that be a great thing? But whether you're at that point or whether you're putting seed in water, wherever you're at, guess what? What we said in the beginning, God is sovereignly at work. He always empowers his word. He always empowers his witness. And ultimately, in God's sovereignty, he will bring that person to faith in Christ that he's been working in, that he has set apart. We just need to be willing. We need to be ready. Be obedient. Be prepared. And be willing to be amazed at what God can do.